Hello and welcome to Upstairs the Podcast, your regular dose of news and reviews. I'm Rachel. And I'm Abby. This week we have got some reviews for you. So recently we've been to see Strictly Ballroom and Chess, so we're going to be talking about those. We've also got a little bit of an update on the Tony nominations and then your regular ball bulletin. That's what you're here for. We know what the people want. Starting though with Theatre News, Abby. Yes, so first piece of news is something we're expecting but the Everybody's Talking About Jamie album is now out digitally. So you can listen okay. to it on Spotify, you can download it on iTunes, you can listen to it on Apple Music, whatever. It's there. And I've been enjoying it. There's a couple of songs that aren't, you know, as great, but I feel like it's the same with every every musical. But the big yes. ballads are gorgeous. Yeah, Wall in My Head is beautiful. It is. And I love Spotlight. Um, yes. I think that's that recording is gorgeous. Yes, I agree. So, yeah, go listen to that. There's also been the first video released from the new upcoming production of Moulin Rouge, which is the official video of Come What May. Um, so it's the Ooh. first glimpse of and fate as Christian. And it's very... very it's good. It has a little hint at the end to another song. Oh, does it? Yeah. It's different from the film, so it's a little bit more theatrical. I think it shows that maybe they are going to do something slightly interesting with it. Yeah, I think the thing will be not being so attached to the film version that you can't enjoy the musical. Yeah. Because exactly. the film is just such a classic. But Aaron Tveit is fantastic, so I'm willing to give him a shot, you know, see what he can do. That's very generous of you. Thank you very much. Also, Inc., which was an Almeida theatre production here and transferred to the West End all last year, is going to open on Broadway next year. So that's very exciting. I think where London is lacking in original musicals, um, musical theatre writers, we're doing very well in new theatre. And to be fair, particularly James Graham, who wrote Inc., also wrote Labour of Love and Quiz, which is currently on the West End. So he's just keeping the West End afloat with his plays. (laughs) So, yeah, that is exciting. That's very exciting. Some more news is that Peter Dinklage is going to star in a new musical of Serrano de Bergerac, and that's going to be at the Norma Terrace Theatre in Connecticut this summer. So if you're in Connecticut and want to see Peter Dinklage, then you know where to go. I'm interested, has he done, obviously he's done theatre before, but not recently. Yeah, and I don't know, and the only thing I can think of is, you know when they did that, like, comic relief piss take of Game of Thrones musical? Yes. That's all I'm picturing, which I'm sure is not how he's going to do Cyrano. We just don't know. It'd be interesting to see if they do French accents, what his French accent would be compared to his weird British accent that he does. It's it's an odd British accent, isn't it? It is. It's convincing, but it's also not an accent that anyone has. No. That's a really good point. You do kind of forget it. He doesn't doesn't do a bad job, does he? I've heard worse. I wish him all the best, and I wish that production the best. I I didn't know it existed. Good on them for getting Peter Dinklage to star in it, because that's going to give it a lot of... Big boost. Yeah. Um, Speaking of French stuff, (laughs) segues, um, Notre Dame de Paris is returning to London for a limited run at the Coliseum. I think next summer, I want to say. I didn't write that down. And this is a show that was on at the Dominion Theatre about 10 years ago, I think, but is going to do a limited run in the original French, which seems weird to do in London, but sure. Why not? I mean, are there many... I mean, I'm assuming so, but there can't be that many French speakers in London, right? I don't know. I don't know if it's the sort of thing where they're like, the songs are in French and... I honestly don't know. I don't know this show at all, but I was just like, huh, weird. In 
interesting choice. Wouldn't you just hop yeah. over the pond and do it in Paris? Yeah, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? Do that. Last piece of news is that a new rock musical about the Bronte sisters is going to be transferred to the Southwark Playhouse in September. I don't know much about this. It sounds fun. It sounds like it's something. From the short article that I read about it, they've done kind of development workshops up in Yorkshire in the land of the Brontes themselves. They haven't got creators or cast signed on yet. Well, I'm sure that'll come out in the coming weeks, months, because September isn't actually that far away. It's true. Um, I don't know how I feel about a rock musical about the Bronte sisters, but I think they were interesting, and I'm sure there's a lot of interesting stories to tell. Yeah, I don't hate the idea. Yeah. If you you could get a good cast for it, it would be quite interesting, actually. Yeah, as long as the music isn't horrendous, I think the story is an interesting one. Agreed. Who'd have thought Hamilton would work, you know? This could be the British Hamilton. If you heard that it's about one of the final fans of the USA, like the lesser known one, you'd be like, okay, sure, that sounds interesting. So rock musical about the Brontes. This is the next big thing, guys. Next big thing. You heard it here first on Upstage. Yeah, we're all in. So the big news this week is that the Tony Award nominations were announced by Catherine McPhee and Leslie Odom Jr. extremely charmingly. They were delightful. I mean, awful at many aspects of it, but a joy to watch. (laughs) So the best musical nominees are The Band's Visit, Frozen, Mean Girls and, dare I say it, Spongebob Squarepants, the Broadway musical. I cannot believe how well Spongebob has done. Yeah, I mean, it's worth saying at this point that Spongebob Squarepants, the musical and Mean Girls topped the nominations with 12 nominations each. I mean, that is the state of Broadway at the moment. Yeah. To be fair, they are meant to be really fun shows and well crafted and well performed and all that i would happily i would happily see mean girls the musical i don't understand how spongebob squarepants has made it to broadway i just cannot fathom it i would love to see both of those shows i'd love to see both shows people are loving spongebob they're loving mean girls i just think it is slightly sad that three out of four of the best musicals are like just massive franchises and the nominations generally are dominated by those three and harry potter obviously another big franchise and it's not to say that what they're doing isn't great and then you know it's not good theatre but it is more of what we're saying when we're talking about movies into musicals that is just where the money is I guess yeah Yeah, I suppose but it's just safe isn't it it's the safe choice yeah exactly but that doesn't mean they can't be good shows so although having said that Frozen only got three nominations did not do so well and the nominations were best musical were like there wasn't much in terms there of new yeah. stuff on yeah. Broadway. And then they won yeah. Best Book. They're not one. <laughs> they haven't won anything. And they probably won't. <laughs> they were also nominated for Best Book and Best Original Score. Um, Best Original Score, it's Chris Nansen Lopez and Robert Lopez who also wrote Book of Mormon and kind of a safe... They're safe hands, yeah, I think, in are. that sense. I just feel like what they were nominated for was where there wasn't necessarily much competition. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But mm-hmm. neither of the, the lead actresses got nominations, which I think is quite a snub given that I haven't seen them, but those are big roles. They're the sort of roles yeah. that you'd expect would naturally get nominations. Yeah, big names. Um, and, and names Broadway-wise, not just, you know, some random Hollywood person. Yes, absolutely. But I haven't seen it, so I don't know, because it's it's in America, isn't it? And I'm not there. <laughs> I would just like to give a little bit of appreciation for all of the travesties nominations because i'm thrilled that they got so many travesties got four nominations more than frozen yes fuck you frozen 
Um, there were just generally so many British nominees in the plays categories. So four yeah. out of five of the best performance by an actor in a leading role in a play category and yeah. also four out of five of the um, best performance by actress in featured roles in a play are British. It's really nice to go in and say for that leading actor, I saw three of those performances because I saw them in yeah. London and then they yeah. went to New York. So I think that shows how strong our straight theatre is in London, that yes. America has taken all of our stuff and all of our people. Absolutely. Yeah, it's nice. It's nice to see Anthony Boyle for Cursed Child. He got a nomination. Yes. That he made me really happy because mm. he was he's fantastic. I think he's a sort of person who will be super famous, like Benedict Cumberbatch level sort of British actor. Everyone loves him famous in a few years time. Yes, I hope so. That would be lovely. Would be lovely. He deserves it. Angels in America, which was a National Theatre production, so another British one with a lot of British actors getting nominated, got 11 nominations, which is the most nominations that a um, play has ever got for the Tonys. That's amazing. It really is, because I think for musicals, there's normally a lot more scope. They're ticking a lot more boxes with the production, but for a play to get 11 nominations is... Is incredible. And even then, I think that one of the actors was snubbed. I thought James McArdle, who played Lewis um, and transferred over to Broadway, the production, didn't get an Olivier nomination either. And I don't, I think it's it's one of those things of because he's not a name. Yeah, which is unfortunate. Um, Yeah, so in this, you've got Andrew Garfield and Nathan Lane both got nominations in terms of the men in Angels in America. And I think it's partly just because they're the. Um, that's not to take away from their performances, which were excellent, but I think part of it is because they are the names and they're the people who are expected to be nominated. It's yeah. always the way, isn't it? It is. But yeah, good on Angels in America. It was an incredible production, and obviously, it is so New York that it makes sense that it should, you know, get so many nominations in its homecoming of sorts. Yes. We tweeted the full list of all of the Tony nominations, so if you want to check those out, they are on our Twitter at UpstagePod. Looking forward to watching the ceremony, as always. Yes. Get to see Spongebob in action. Oh, we do. Yes, we do. That'll be fun, won't it? Well, That'll be the highlight, I mean, I'm sure. The only song they've released, I'm not a massive fan of, but I've just heard such great things. Yeah. And I'm it's Wesley Taylor, you. he's fun. And the little guy, little Ethan Slater, he seems yeah. very spongy. Very spongy. Looks so much like a sponge. <laughs> what I've seen of it, I don't hate. Maybe I hate that it exists, but I don't hate what I'm yeah. seeing. Yeah, I'm interested to see what they'll perform on the Tonys and how they'll how it'll go down in the room. Maybe it'll be... I don't know. I can't... I, I just can't imagine it. People do love it. I did enjoy in the nominations when poor Catherine McPhee had to read out the best original score nomination for Spongebob yeah. because basically every song in Spongebob is written by a different artist and they're all people like... John Legend, Plain White Tea, Cindy Lauper, They Might yeah. Be Giants. So all like these bands, Aerosmith. Yeah. But it's like this long list. Oh, poor woman. I felt like she was there for about 10 minutes reading out the people who wrote this one show. That's what I don't... I can't imagine that it's a cohesive piece of musical theatre. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if it transfers to London one day so we'll be able to see for ourselves. We'll be able to pop along and see what we think, won't we? That'll be fun. I'm excited. So, we saw Strictly Ballroom. We did. What did you think? I had such a great evening. I think it's such a fun 
show. It definitely doesn't take itself too seriously. Correct. At times, maybe it doesn't take itself quite seriously enough. But it was just really fun. Just complete feel-good theatre, I thought. So if I give a, a very brief in, like description of what happens. So it's about yeah. a Australian ballroom dancer who wants to dance his own steps at some kind of national championships, which they repeat in the show probably once every five minutes, and I couldn't, for the life of me, tell you what it's called, because the joke is it's a ridiculous name. It's a big championships, and he wants to dance his own steps, and his mum and his dance coach and the head of the, I don't know, Australian Ballroom Dance Federation, I don't know who he was, basically just want him to dance Strictly Ballroom, eh? Hey, that's why it's it's, That's what I did there. And his dance partner decides not to dance with him anymore because he won't stick to these steps and so he finds a new one and the story is about him basically teaching her how to dance and they fall in love and it's a whole big thing and then at the end they go to the championships and I won't tell you what happens but I'm sure you can guess what happens. Oh and also Will Young is there inexplicably throughout the whole thing to sing every single song. Yeah it's worth saying that although it is a musical there's only about two lines or one line even maybe in the whole thing that isn't sung by Will Young. Yeah Yeah, and the music isn't written for the musical it's popular music so love is in the air time after time. Bit of Mambo number five is in there. It was great but it was done so it was there was something of the Moulin Rouge about it which obviously is also Baz Luhrmann. It takes just the snippets of songs and works it together really beautifully so it was kind of like it didn't feel jukeboxy it felt like it was just this was so obviously meant to be the soundtrack of these people's stories and will young's character he's sort of a a narrator that pops in and out of the story he interacts kind of with the characters at points but also not like he's not there but he's sometimes interacting with them in a sort of fun it's yeah. clever. I thought the way that they worked in his character, Wally Stroud, was very clever. And obviously, Will Young has a lovely voice. And it was yeah, a, a joy to hear him sing all those songs, really. My only criticism was that it meant that Zizi Stroud didn't get to sing anything, which I think is a colossal waste of her talents. That is true. Still, even though she didn't get to sing, she was... I mean, everybody was great, but she was by far my favourite part of the whole thing. She is incredible. She is, she is so good. She's such an incredible dancer. And she sort of played against type a little bit. I mean, I haven't seen her in everything she's done before, but she was, like, sort of... In the first half of the show, she's quite, like, you know, she has big glasses and she, like, has baggy clothes and she's, like, sort of, like, the ugly duckling, if you like. You say that, but you're describing my look today. <laughs> I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to. <laughs> um, and then, you know, she blossoms into... I don't know what she blossoms into. She blossoms into a very good dancer who wears, like, flamenco dance, dresses, dance you know? Dance attire. Dance attire. But so that was interesting to see her be, like, funny, more of a comedic role, and she was fantastic. And, oh my God, just, she's just such a good dancer. I can't say enough good words about it. And her, like, presence on stage, you just can't take your eyes off her. And I will also say, my favourite number was the maybe the only song that they sort of sang all the way through which was time after time oh it was beautiful so that's the song that they sing when they find their rhythm i suppose and like have like their first like good practice dance session and they like she starts to fall in love with him it's a whole big thing and it was so romantic that i could have cried there was so much dry ice and it was just the set was beautiful and the costumes were great Everything they did was over the top, so that moment was sort of over the top, beautiful romance, like completely slushy, like you're just melting. It was very much like the end of your song in Moulin Rouge, I thought. Exactly, it was, yeah. 
Um, but then similarly, the comedic moments are very over the top and sometimes like maybe a little bit too like hammy, but yeah. generally just really fun. It was kind of, I thought that when the comedy worked really well, it was quite Hairspray-esque. It had yes. that sort of energy to it. And I mean, it's very, very broad comedy. It's not like... Yeah. Very. It wasn't subtle. No, nothing about it was subtle, subtle. But it didn't mean it wasn't fun. No, exactly. I would say one of my criticisms is maybe that I wish the stage, I mean, this is obviously a, an architectural restriction, but I wish the stage had been slightly bigger to give the dance numbers yeah. a bit more space. I agree. When the, all the cast were dancing, it was a little bit like they're on top of themselves. A bit crowded. Yeah, yeah, which is a shame. But the cast were excellent in terms of dance. I, right, don't get me wrong on this, like, he was a fantastic dancer, but I wish Johnny Labby had been a tiny bit better. I think it is a tricky thing because, yeah, so Johnny Labby plays the lead, Scott Hastings, who is meant to be the best ballroom dancer there is. But he just wasn't the best dancer on that stage. That's just, you know, that's a fact. He was consistently outdanced by Zizi Stralin, for a start. But he was outdanced by pretty much all the ensemble because a lot of them are dancers who act, whereas he's an actor who dances and dances like, I think what his training is is more street dance he can definitely keep up with the ensemble but when you're meant to be this like you know everyone's meant to be blown away by how good he is it's it's tricky i think and you don't want to make the ensemble play down because you want everything to look great he was great like it didn't like take me out of the show but i was just sort of like you're just he's not the best dancer on that stage you know yeah you've got to use a little bit of of imagination there but i think his stage presence was great yeah absolutely also, a little uh, shout out to the costume designer who put him in a vest for the whole of the first act. Thank you very much. Yeah. Great view of his arms. And I think him and Zizi Stralin had really great chemistry and played off it each great. other really well. And there's just ridiculous moments that are fun. You know, it might not be the cleverest thing on the West End, but it is one of the most fun evenings, I think. I agree. It was just enjoyable from start to finish. It yeah. was very camp, but knowingly and didn't shy away from it. The costumes were huge and glittery and feathery, and Will Young's got a black moustache and is it all in sequins. And is the campest you'll ever see. Campest you'll ever see. He's on roller skates at one point, which is great. His costumes are just so sequin. Yeah, so sequin. Um, So yeah, if you like Baz Luhrmann, it's quite, I think, quite a faithful adaptation of the film. So if you like the film, if you like Baz Luhrmann, if you like a bit of a song and dance. If you like nice, well-sculpted arms. If, yeah, if you like Worst Girls Dumps, get down there immediately, I'm telling you. So good. So fun. We also went to see Chess this week. Yes, we did. Which is a very different show. Very different show. We, well, I say we saw Chess, Abby. We didn't see much of Act 1 of Chess, did we? <laughs> we didn't see much of Act 1 of Chess. And that's because we bought tickets, because we're, we're cheap, basically, in the balcony, which is the very top tier. And not only were the chairs sort of like weird half chairs that like weren't long enough for like a normal person yeah, to sit on. Y- your butt fits, but your legs have no legs support. Don't fit at all. You couldn't, it was severely restricted view and it didn't say that anywhere when we booked it. So just if you are going to go, the tickets are attractive because they're only £15, but you will miss a lot of the show because we couldn't see a whole half of the stage. Um, yeah. And there was no warning. But we did manage to sneak down a level in the interval because there was swathes of seats just not filled. And Act 2, I, we had a fantastic view of. We did. We could see the whole stage. Such a treat. We can't really go on any further without mentioning Michael Ball, I don't think. I don't Michael think. Ball! Michael Ball was fantastic. Of course he was. He's Michael Ball. 
he he nailed it. You know, there's a reason that he is. There's a reason we do a ball bulletin, you know? It's because he's phenomenal. He did a great act one finale, great anthem. Um, He was very intense. You know, he he did his very best to make chess look interesting. That is one thing I would actually say about the show, to just divert away from Michael Ball for a second. They make you watch people play chess for a very long time. A very, very long time. And it's, you know, it's tense, but it's also, it's been ten minutes, and I've just been watching them move pieces around the board, you know? Do you want to tell the people what chess is about, Rachel? I'll tell tell the people what chess is about. So chess is... Well, it's written by, music is by Benny and Bjorn from ABBA and lyrics by Tim Rice. Sure, why not? And it's about the Cold War, essentially. It's about the Cold War, but through the microcosm of a chess match between two very good chess players, uh, the previous world champion, who is American, and the, I want to say young upstar, but he's not that young, the challenger, who is Anatoly, who is Russian. And the first act is their match at the world championships, and then one of them wins, I won't say who, and the second act is a the match the year later between the winner and the new upstart, the actual young upstart. And it's sort of, it's about the sort of broader Cold War tension, but also very much about specifically Anatoly's life and his wife, who he left behind in Russia, and his new love interest, who he meets through his rival in this chess match and their sort of love story. So it's 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 both big and Cold War, and also very small about these two people. So the cast for this, aside from Michael Ball, were roundly fantastic, I thought. So Alexandra Burke played Michael Ball's wife, Svetlana. Um, she had some great songs. She did a great Someone Else's Story. Cassie Jensen plays the woman that Anatoly leaves his wife for, and so she has a great number of solos. She was fantastic, I thought. Also, fantastic hair. Just great hair. Incredible hair. So long yeah. and curly and red. Very nice. And then Tim Hauer plays the American chess player. He's got quite a... He's like a he's in a band. He's got quite like a rocky voice. He reminded me a lot of Phil Collins. That's the voice that yeah. I would sort of... He's quite similar to. Um, and then Cedric Neal was fantastic as well as the art. Cedric Neal might be my favourite. I think he that was my favourite song. His voice, I could listen to him sing and sing. It was just so smooth and... The show used a lot of camera stuff. Yeah, why, that is everywhere recently. They did that in Battle of Hell as well. Battle of Hell and Chess have both done this thing, which I am not a fan of. I don't know how you feel. I, well, I appreciated it in Act 1 because we couldn't see what the fuck was going on, but we could yeah. see the screen that they were filming the close-ups and yeah. that's what you... So they have cameras on stage and it's live on a screen as if you're at a gig or whatever but a little bit more artistically done yeah but that does mean that you're watching a musical and there's a camera on stage and i thought to be fair chess did it a lot more subtly and a lot it was much better integrated in than battle of hell in battle of hell there were times when i literally couldn't see the actress on stage because a cameraman was right in front of her and i was just like that's adding nothing i don't care but I do feel like one of the things that's confusing for him that I think the reason I'm talking about it now is because I think Cedric Neal was one of the ones who did this really well in the yeah. kind of playing to the camera and out to the auditorium as well. Because I think it's really tricky because obviously you're acting big for an auditorium to, especially in a venue so big as the Coliseum. So like maybe they lost some of their playing up to the top seats because they had a camera in their face. Yeah. And they weren't thinking necessarily about staging for those £15 tickets because they're like, oh, well, they'll see the screen anyway. It's like, yeah, but I could watch that on TV. So I think it is frustrating that. And there were moments 
even in chess, where the actor had his back to the audience but was being filmed. Yeah. And it worked because there was other stuff going on, but it is a little bit frustrating where you're just like... That's not the point of the musical. Yeah, (laughs) if someone's singing, I should be seeing their face. Or if I'm not seeing their face, there should be some dramatic reason why I'm not, not just because that's where the camera is. Yes. So I don't know how I feel about that as a technique necessarily. Um, Which, yeah, as you say... It's the second time we've seen it in a few weeks. But I did think Cedric O'Neill... Cedric O'Neill? I'm making him Irish. He's Irish now. He's Irish. But I do think that Cedric Neal did play with that really well. And it did add at the end. Obviously not going to give away the ending. But the ending is quite emotional. And Cassidy Jansen on that big screen. Yes. With that level of emotion... That was like cinematic. That was beautiful. That, that that kind of moment, it really, really works. But then there were some bits where it's like, I don't need to see this many like fake television interviews. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, just, just, I don't need it. I don't need to close up. In terms of the rest of the staging, I, I really enjoyed the stage line. It's very bare. It's very bare, but it, they call it like a semi-stage production of it, right? So yeah. it's not like, which I don't really, but- I don't know how it was semi-staged because it seemed quite staged I- to me. I thought it was staged. It's quite a, a stripped back set, but that doesn't mean it's not staged. Yeah. I no, thought that was weird as well, that that's kind of how they bill it. Yeah. Um, and the orchestrations were also stunning. That orchestra. Oh, and yeah. also the chorus. They have some of the piano chorus singing when they're the big numbers. Yeah. So the company is huge. The company is massive once you've got those people in. And the, yeah. the sound is such a full sound. Mm-hmm. I would say that sometimes the sound balance was off and I couldn't hear what the lead was singing and I couldn't hear the lyrics and I don't know the show at all obviously I I knew you know like you know I know him so well and you know One Night in Bangkok but not exactly Um, the lyrics the lyrics are so fast anyway so fast paced and so intricate that if you you couldn't you I did not have a clue either what they were saying most of the time you could get the general gist but you couldn't get the nuances the same no and that's where I think Michael Ball and Cassidy Jansen really really stood out because Alexandra Burke and Tim Howe I think Oh, Tim Howard has done a lot of stage stuff, but because maybe yeah. he was singing in a more of a rocky style, and similarly yeah. with Alexandra Burke, she's obviously done a lot of stage work, but I think because Michael Ball and Cassidy Jansen are like the top of the stage performance yes. pyramid of greatness, their enunciation was clear enough that you could pretty much follow everything they were saying. Yeah, I agree. But it was, as soon as someone was slightly under perfection, you're like, no, I didn't catch it, sorry. <laughs> Missed that entirely, yes. But also, like, not knowing chess at all, some of the music is really fucking weird. Oh my god, it like it varies so much in like style. Although weirdly, all of them, like, you could feel the ABBA influence, as I thought. Even yeah. when it's like whether it was a ballad or like One Night in Bangkok, which is sort of like basically a pop song, or there was some sort of like really operatic stuff that was like haunting and just the choir singing. But through all of it, I felt like I could hear it was like it was about to break into like. Mamma Mia, do you know what I mean? Like, that sort of tinkly ABBA music. I could, like, sense it. I thought the big ballads were the strongest in terms of songs. And every major cast member got one and nailed it. There's some numbers that they could have just cut entirely and it would have made absolutely no difference. (laughs) Yeah, there's a song where they just sing the names of chess champions. For Yeah, for ages, for about three minutes. And for that, to give it any context, they had to put these guys on the screen behind. Like, the big screen said, like... Joe Bloggs, 1972. Yeah, and they would sing, like, Joe Bloggs, you know? Yeah, that was it. And some of them were that sort of generic name that was just so bog standard. You're just like, what is happening? And they just kept doing it. It just kept happening. It's not like someone was even doing a big costume change or anything, you know? It was so filler, but for no purpose. 
I think maybe what made me not like certain numbers as well is there's a lot of what I think is kind of bad conversational musical theatre yeah. writing, yeah. where it's just like, we are saying something. And I'm like, well, what was that? That wasn't a tune. It wasn't... We are saying it to music. Yeah. I felt like there were parts when I was watching the show and I was thinking, this is what people who hate musical theatre think that all musical theatre is. Absolutely, yeah. And there was a way to do that well. Like, Hamilton is sung through, Les Mis is sung through, Miss Saigon is sung through. There are arguments in all of these shows, but there's a way to do it where it doesn't just feel like, oh, I just wish you just scripted that. Like, it didn't need music behind it. Like, I'd rather them just be able to fully express the emotion of it without having to hit a note at the same time. Yeah. There was quite a lot of that, wasn't there? And especially because it was difficult to understand what they were saying anyway, it made it especially inaccessible. That's true. I think maybe the production was good and I'm not that keen on the show. And also there are parts of the show that seem very dated. Oh, so so Uh, many stereotypes. Yeah. I think my criticisms with the show, if you're a fan of chess, definitely go see this production. If you're a fan of ABBA, go and see it. If you're a fan of Michael Ball, go and see it. He was great. Do you know one of my favourite bits, which is a criticism on the production, not the show... Yeah. When he sang his dramatic song, and then with the stupidly big screens and the massive camera, they just showed him dramatically knocking over a chess piece. Chess oh piece. my god, I forgot about that bit, and he had to wait for ages to knock it over as well, so his hand's like hovering, and he's like, wait, Michael, yeah. wait, now. It was so overdramatic, and there's just this close-up, like, I've never seen someone's hand so big. And they didn't do that again, they didn't have any, like, weirdly produced four-camera moments no. after that. Yeah, that was very forced, very over-the-top, and That's very, fair. oh. I think the reviews have been unnecessarily harsh i do think the cast do a very very good job with material that is perhaps a bit dated i think they, yeah. they do a good enough job that it's worth going to see like i would go and see it again just to hear Casty johnson sing nobody's side you know yeah i'm not sure i'd go see it again but would i go to a concert where they perform the big ballads yes interesting interesting a lot of the reviews just said it was a little bit messy and i can i can see that at times but at times i thought it was really slick and what a cast what a cast. Enjoyed it very much. Yeah. Hooray. So we'll go straight from that into Ball Bulletin. He's just, he's all over the place. I'd like to say a special thank you to our loyal listener, Kate, who mm-hmm. sent in this bit of ball news, and that he will be hosting the Proms in the Park in Hyde Park on the 8th of September, which is Britain's largest outdoor classical music event. And um, Josh Groban is performing this year. So it'll be oh, Ball yeah. and Groban. Imagine if they do a little duet. Oh, that would be so... He'll definitely get involved, won't he? Michael Ball will definitely yeah, not, definitely. not let that pass without a musical opportunity. Another little ball bulletin thing that is very random, but because I keep my tabs on old old ball, he did a little, a little message for a woman in an old people's home that was precious because apparently her dream is to meet him, but he couldn't go meet her i don't i couldn't figure out if it was her 87th birthday or was it just she was sat there with a glass of champagne but it was clearly some sort of event in in the care home and he recorded a little special video for her and i just thought what a nice guy that is absolutely lovely of course he of course he would he's a stand-up man any other business from you i went to see avengers infinity war along with like half the planet so i don't even need to talk about that because it was good, but people know it's good. I have a lot of feelings, but I don't want to spoil anything, so I'll keep them to myself. Keep them to yourself. What I've also um, started watching, finally, I've been meaning to get around to it for months and months, is Marvelous Mrs. Maisel on oh, Amazon good. Prime. It is so lovely. It's really, so it's, for people who don't know, it's the new show from the creators of Gilmore Girls, and 
I had heard really great things and it won the Golden Globe for best comedy, but I kind of yeah. didn't know what it was about. And it is very Sherman Paginio. It's very Gilmore Girls in that people like say that Gilmore Girls is like the most Jewish show that isn't about Jewish people. This is yeah. like that, but it is about Jewish people. They're all Jewish and they're all very Gilmore-esque, but yeah. it's set in the, I want to say the 60s, maybe 50s, 60s. Yeah. And it's about Midge Maisel, who is becoming a stand-up comedian, basically. And it is just, it's so of that world. So if you liked Gilmore Girls or Bunheads, any of those things, I would definitely recommend this. And it's all on Amazon Prime. My only any of the business is that I finished Homegoing, the book I was reading, and it was fantastic, and you should definitely read it. I will definitely do that. But yeah, that's my only any of the business for this week. Haven't been quite busy, so haven't had time to do much other culture stuff other than see all the things that we've seen which has been a good week so you know where to find us on on everything on instagram upstage pod twitter email us and thank you for listening thank you okay Bye. bye